Hello, listeners. This is Jim, the Keys bartender, coming to you from Key Largo. How are you today? I th- I think I got my sound thing fixed. I just I don't I just don't know how it works all the time. I just know this device that I'm recording on right now, my Chromebook. When I use the same microphone that I normally use, and I plug it into my Chromebook, I don't get that kind of hollowy, echoey sound. But here I am. Always trying to make it a little better. Always trying to make it a little better. Okay, well, start talking about a little about the bartending thing. This week we had, um, I think I could talk about this at, uh, you know, from where I work. We had a wine tasting. We Every so often we change up our wine list. We don't have a big wine list. Number one, you know, we have maybe, you know, six, seven different types of white wines same amount red wines you know besides the house wines and that's because we're a family restaurant that's pretty much it you can your know, wine lists are really interesting because you can go to whole gamut depending on what your traffic levels are and what people are looking at when i say traffic levels i mean how busy is the restaurant and what kind of people go there now we're a family restaurant i mentioned that already and I always think, I mentioned the big three. You have Chardonnay, Pinot Grigio, Sauvignon Blanc. There's also White Zinfandel for some people, but I, uh, Rosé, Pinot, um, when it comes to red, there's Pinot Noir, there's Cabernet. There's other ones, obviously Malbec, and, and different types, but different varieties of each one too. Well, no, actually that's the variety. So you can drill down. Our house wines, we have Cabernet Merlot, uh, Moise Zinfandel, Pinot Grigio, and Chardonnay. That's the one. That's the ones that get discounted during the happy hour and things like that. And that's just what it is, the kind of place. Now, should we have a really good bottle uh, of Cabernet? Well, every so often, you, yeah, we might be able to sell one of those. But why would someone come into a place that is a family restaurant and order that type, you know, a $400 bottle of wine, $500 bottle of wine? I mean, sure, there's people that come in that can afford it. But is that their audience? Should we have it? It takes a lot, you know, just to store those things. You, won't, you don't want to hold on to them permanently either. So you got to think, what are you going to get the most use out of it? You got to get a certain like mid-level wine, like a mid-level Cabernet that you two, like I always, in our place, you have two different types of Cabernet, two different types of Pinot Grigio, two different types of Sauvignon Blanc, two types of uh, Pinot Grigio. I may be repeating myself. One, maybe Rosé, maybe not. No Malbec. We don't, I mean, every so often we could get someone ask for a glass of Malbec, but that doesn't, like red wines don't really last that long. So you got to think, what am I going to use it for? Do I want to have this bottle of wine over so I can just open it, offer someone one, not recover the cost for the bottle? And of course, I mentioned this in passing before. You can always do things with the wine. You can cook with it, make sangria, 
and things like that. So we were doing a wine tasting. What, pray tell, does a guy do who doesn't drink anymore? Well, I, I, I uh, rely more on my nose. My nose. I, I've been concentrating more on the nose, smelling, smelling the wine, taking in the bouquet, reading on it, uh, getting, listening to people, way people talk about it. It's almost like being blind. And purchasing clothing. Because people who are visually impaired still purchase clothing, right? And they, you know, a lot of times they probably rely on other people's uh, opinion or other people's description on how it looks on them. So I do the same thing. So I brought the wife to the wine tasting. I went to wine... Uh, or a liquor rep or a wine rep comes to a restaurant, they usually have uh, someone pick out a couple wines for them so they can get some, you have to have some good ones. You should always bring good wines in different price ranges if you're a wine rep and say this one. And if you have a Chardonnay, this is way Chardonnay, you got oaky Chardonnay and you got non-oaky Chardonnay. That's the two. I mean, you have different Things you can have more like fruit undercurrents going on with uh, a Chardonnay, maybe like a strawberry or something like that. But you really, the main thing that Chardonnays have is that either the oak, like a Kendall Jackson, or a non oak. That's the main thing. But you just can't be everything to everyone. You just want to make sure you have. A nice smattering of the most popular items. And if you can recall, I told the story about going to a restaurant one time and asking for, when I was drinking, a Cabernet. They didn't have any Cabernet. They didn't have any Merlot. And they said, well, what red wine do you have that's dry? And they went back. to, And this whole process took about 35 minutes. Because it came back three times and says, I'm sorry, we don't have any red wine. Wow, they could have said that in the beginning. We don't have any red wine, couldn't they? When they asked for a wet, if someone asked for a Chardonnay and I didn't have any white wine, I, the first response I would have said, I said, I am so sorry, I don't have any white wine. <laughs> but yeah, this restaurant, I said, are you guys going out of business? You don't have any red wine. And it was a chain restaurant that normally had about 20 different reds. You know, 20 different red wines. And they have one to sell by the glass. That's crazy. And it wasn't a fancy. Definitely wasn't. It was a family restaurant. Well, well it, was, um, it was like Fridays or Applebee's or something like that. So they didn't even meet the, the modicum, the base level of providing that, to have one. You should at least have one. I suggest you should have a little more diverse than one, unless you're one of those specialty restaurants and you just do a pairing with certain wines with your food. You know, you should, you should have a little smattering. If you're going to have the ability to serve uh, a license to serve wine and beer, you better have a little selection of it. But as I said before, I worked at different places. They had up to like 80 different types of uh, wine. And, and 
actually they had a listing it started number one and they kept them all numbered so the the white wines for one through 36 and then they had the blush sparkling ones and then starting in the um, lower 40s they had red wines and obviously there were spaces, numbers where they discontinued the wines and things like that. And the managers at the places I worked that had extensive wine, they really took a long, hard look at their wine list to fill in the gaps, to have a range of prices and a range of taste. So you can cover almost everyone. Now, obviously, you can't help get keep everyone happy if someone wants... A, a, a vegan, organic Sauvignon Blanc not made in France or New Zealand, then they may have a hard time finding that. And that's where it comes in when people bring their own bottles of wine in. That's why you have to, when you bring a wine bottle to a restaurant that doesn't have a liquor license or doesn't have, uh, that does have a liquor license, serves their own wine, they have an a corking fee. And corking fee is totally legitimate. They're providing the food. They pay for a liquor license for you to be able to enjoy wine there, the liability and stuff like that. So just in order for you to bring your wine, you have to pay, you know, I think the corking fees now are generally uh, $15 on up. I mean, I'm sure they get up to some crazy amount someplace else, but I'd say they probably average 15 to $20 right now so yeah the wine tasting went well my nose is getting more developed I guess more of a I wouldn't call myself a sommelier a sommelier someone's trained to be able to go through the description of the wines most people get really panicky when they show up and they're presented with a wine list and to make a choice but what you want to do is you want to balance it. If you're at it like a business one, you can ask someone, oh, I want to, you can ask, do you have an experienced member of your staff with the kind of food we're having? What kind of, maybe we should have a couple different wines, whatever. So you just ask the right questions and you're able to do that. It's really hard to order for a group of people that are ordering different items. Right? So because if you're doing... Uh, a light poultry or something like that. You probably want to stay away from the stronger reds. You want to stay with some white. And there's sweet whites and dry whites. You know, you have a Riesling versus a Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Pinot Grigio. So there's all sorts of ways of handling it just by the questions you ask. I'm looking for a wine that's... Uh, we're looking for a, a white and a red if you're in a mixed group and say, listen, we are, we're ordering these things. What do you think we should have? Well, it would be a nice, a nice Chardonnay in this, and you can go and say, in this price range. No, you don't want some jerk uh, just automatically. If they have a range of bottles from $40 or $50 up to $200, you don't want them to go lean too hard on the 200 all the time. 
you know, something they may hit with something like hit you with a $75 bottle of wine or something like that if they make the suggestion. If they think you're really a big hitter, they may automatically go with that. So that's, if you are a big hitter, you may want to, and you don't want to always be paying the big hitting prices. You might want to read up on the wines. And you know what? You can check these out on most places before you go to a restaurant. You can get, uh, go online and they should have posted a selection of what they have. Just a hint. Okay, so getting back to it. We did the wine tasting. went well. Um, we had, uh, we're in the middle of the, what we call it, the off season, I guess. We're, we're at the beginning of the off season. Where we're one of the, uh, I'd say about 30% of restaurants close for, at least two weeks, sometimes for a whole month. So that keeps everyone going to some place, same to fewer places. And the nice thing about it is you would, if they had stayed open, we really would have been working the same amount of hours for the same amount of money. But because we're artificially, our traffic has increased by the lack of selection of restaurants, we have people coming to our place. And we're getting them a little late. But that's great. And we should have a decent weekend tonight. Uh, we, It's just great. And people say, oh, you know, why is it so slow right now? I said, well, why wouldn't it? We're in the midst. We're at the height of the hurricane season. There is a storm tracking south of Hispaniola, which is uh, Dominican Republic and Haiti. And it's going to come up. And it looks like it's going to track about east of us. Yeah. That's all we think about. We think about these things. What are these these tropical storms now? This could turn back to a hurricane. But it's when it turns back into a hurricane, it's going to be going north and east and away from the coast of Florida. So we always think, well, something's developing now off the African coast. Where most of them develop first. They obviously some of them do reform in the Caribbean, the lower Caribbean and things like that. But generally it comes across from West Africa and you see that. And we have like a ten day window. So today's being the sixteenth of September. That'll take us to the end of September and uh still in the peak and beginning of October and then it starts I guess the it, Traditionally, it started waning the chances of having a hurricane. But with these water temperatures still staying hot, there's no reason why not. There is a typhoon hitting Alaska as we speak. Alaska. They've got 100 mile per hour winds, which is pretty much a hurricane. They call it a typhoon when it's in the, in the Pacific. And they're having like 50 foot high waves uh, 6 to 12 feet storm surge on these elastic villages Alaskan villages Uh, luckily I guess they have some height on the beaches and things like that but that's uh, yeah a hurricane hitting Alaska they don't want to call it a hurricane I guess to make them feel uncomfortable there's a hurricane hitting Alaska yeah it's like saying there's a snowstorm in Las Vegas if there was a, I'm saying it's similar to saying that if someone 
in the middle of July said to you, there's a snowstorm in Las Vegas. You might as well, it's going to be the end of the world. It's the apocalypse. Right. I don't think having a hurricane in Alaska is, is exactly the apocalypse. But it is not boding well for us. You don't hear that too much. You know they get blizzards and you know they get this. You, you see the deadliest catch. You know the, the Bering Straits are a very wicked place to work and live. So, uh, but I digress again. That's the reason why people, are, well, first of all, this is why it's slow here. We're peak of a hurricane season. People don't want to book travel, come all the way down here and have to evacuate and also start a school and, you know, some some rainy weather. We have, it's actually beautiful down here when, at the time when it slows down the most, it's it's probably some of the nicest times you could spend down here. As I said on the last weekend, the wife and I on Sunday went to, to the uh, marathon to Sombrero Beach, and it was lovely. It was absolutely lovely. So, the last thing I wanted to talk about, we we're talking about how business is good and all that stuff, is, you know, I get, I see a lot when uh, the U.S. Open just ended, the tennis, U.S. Tennis Open. I, I know most of you figured that out. And you've seen a couple people, like you saw Serena Williams retire. I don't know if Venus retired, but Federer just announced that he was retiring. And then you have, you're going to have Nadal and all these people. And they're in their 40. They're 40, 41, 42. And they have the up-and-comers that are 19, 20, 21, 22. And they're the ones going to be taking over and things like that. Once you see a mass of these retirees and people like, you know, Tom Brady being 45, which is incidentally about 14 years younger than me. I mean, that's a world-class athlete. I, athlete, I understand that I wouldn't, I, I understand I would not be able to physically handle the wear and tear. And it's interesting, no matter how you take care of yourself and how, relatively injury-free you were, age does take its toll. Now, I can't imagine what it's like. I, I can imagine from just getting the stories about how they feel and their, their injuries and, and, and things like that. I, I do understand that. But I don't understand how they physically feel when I, who've had relatively few, I've had, I was prone to some ankle sprains. And it's always seemed to be on my right side, my right ankle. I haven't had that in years and years and years. Over, I had to be over 25 years that I had a serious ankle sprain or an injury. I'm, now it's mainly like broken bones in the toes and the, sometimes the hand. If I had that, I had a, a compression damage to my hand one time. I won't get into that now. But there's an accumulative, uh, accumulative effect to injuries, especially in these athletes. And you feel. Now, as I was saying earlier, just the process of getting older, your joints get tired just from doing nothing. Just from doing nothing, your, 
your joints, your your muscles and things like that. Now, throw in there a, a regular regimen of training where you're actively trying to damage the muscle. When I say damage muscle, training, weight training is is the structured damaging of their muscle in order to build it up. That's what it is. I mean, real, real weight training. And there's the pounding that it takes if you're playing tennis. There's your shoulder, your knees, your ankles, your hips, uh, your feet. All those things. Oh, the dog's here, so he could be barking. There we go. I'm going to pause this right now and let this dog bark for a moment. I'll be right back. Yeah, I was just getting to the meat of the conversation, talking about accumulated damage that happens from any sports. Football players get it. Gosh, um, the guy from the Cowboys, it's his finger or his thumb, which is really important. People always think you, you hurt your thumb when you're in your, your writing hand and you're an accountant, you generally, you're walking around with your thumb bandaged up and you go to work. You don't miss any work except the time you're getting an x-rayed. But in football, if it's on your throwing hand, you're out for eight weeks at least. And then there's repercussions. Now, you have any of these ma- major damages? I, I, I never thought I had damage to my knees or anything like that. But as you get older, it's funny. You start, you, you're, you're thinking you're supposed to be feeling bad. And then you start thinking about these aches and pains that you have. It's like putting the cart before the horse. Did I have these pains before? Or am I imagining the pains because I'm supposed to be having those pains? I went to the gym today. I thought, I'm not going to go over my workout routine. But yesterday, it was weight training and a little cardio. And then I taught my spin class, with, which is a lot of cardio. Today was cardio and core training, followed by, uh, it was my cardio. It was about 20 minutes of running, and then core training, and then teaching my spin class. And I'm able to do it. Now, I think about it before I go into the gym, and I'm thinking, wow, I don't feel like doing it. I'm almost 60 years old. I was having this tendon thing with my elbow. I'm pointing out my elbow. I had this tendon thing happen, and people say tennis elbow, and it's not my, I said to people, it's not my elbow, it's my tendon. And it's probably from me trying to do uh, pull-ups. Or I was working out doing pull-ups, and I was doing, I was trying to do 40 pull-ups, not in one setting. And I'm a big guy. And pull-ups, you know, as you get an older person, pull-ups are a younger person's game. I didn't say younger man. It said a younger person's game. Because there are women, a lot of women that can do that now. I'm just thinking about now when I'm working out. I, th- I do think about whenever I do something. I haven't pulled a muscle in a long time. I haven't damaged a thing in a long time. I do notice it takes a bit of time for things to heal. I haven't had a recent injury where I can compare it. Like a sprained ankle normally took, for me... Four weeks to get over. And uh, when I say four weeks, I didn't stop doing what I did. I still worked. just took me four weeks for it to heal correctly. I mean, the first two weeks were kind of a limp. And then uh, 
you come back after this, you know third and fourth week and then you're back to almost 100%. But yeah, all these retirements, it makes me think. I said, well, how long can I do this? And I'm thinking, what should I be doing? What should I be doing to increase my mobility, to make sure my balance? I mean, I've been working out steadily. It's got to suck, though, when you stop doing it. There's, I've seen people that are 60, 70, 80 years old, and they were fit when they were working and stuff like that. They just had one of those generally all-around fit bodies. Maybe it was the way they worked, the way they viewed their work, and the way they did things. Maybe and then when you're sedentary for a bit of while, little while, it is noticeable. It's noticeable when you do it. I noticed during COVID... When I stopped doing the things, when I stopped working out, at one point uh, over the last group of years, when we were uh, just in the house and things like that, and then for a, a, almost a year, I didn't hit the I didn't hit the cardio really well. I just used my spin class, did a little rowing, but I I didn't do a lot of cardio. I didn't do a lot of elliptical. You know, trying to balance it out and rowing. I always say I, I did the lifting part and I did my spin, but I left this big gap in there. And I need it. I need it because I feel it. I feel it in the beginning. It, it always feels like my, I'm under cardio stress in the beginning. But I know if I run for about 15, 20 minutes, my, my pulmonary system and everything gets all warmed up and I'm ready to go. And I, I think, I just think of my general wellness. I say, what, how do I have to be and at this stage of my life? How do I want to be? And what can I do to be as healthy as I can for as long as I can? I'm not competing in any Ironman. I mean, these are, these are great things to be in, being contests. And there's people out there to do it. My general, I'm competing against time. I'm competing against my uh, body, and I'm just saying, how long can I do this? Be healthy, run up those steps. You know, I've been I'm knock kneed, and I've always had a problem of walking. Uh, it looks like I'm walking with a, a slight problem, but I'm not. But I know it's going to be a problem when I get. I think when I get older. I walked up to 25 miles a day. It was one of the things I did to quit smoking when I was off. So I wasn't unoccupied and I wasn't drinking all the time because I couldn't drink and, and not smoke. So what I did, I took up walking, hiking through the park. And I would walk upwards of 25 miles a day. And at the end, man, I was just driven to do it. And it was a joy. I got in really good shape for that just from walking and carrying weights. Uh, I would put like uh, a gallon of water in and food and all that stuff. And itself, I had maybe a 20-pound pack, which isn't enormous, but it, I'm carrying a 20-pound pack. I'm one, going 25 miles, doing it a good clip too, trying to maintain like four miles an hour, uh, which is a fast pace, pretty fast pace, four, four and a half, five mile an hour, just good clip. Fast walk. So that's the thing. You always think about that. What? How much is the degrade, 
degradation process going to occur and what can I do to defeat that? And the last thing I wanted to talk about was there's nothing I can do about it other than, you know, try to pick up new talents and th- things like that. There's a, the brain. At one point in less oh, 10 years ago, we supposedly had 100 billion neurons. And then further tests say, on average, we have 86 billion neurons in our brain. And the longest connection from being from the brain all the way to the tip of the toe, the axon, the longest nerve made of neurons. Now, with those 86 billion, there's there's 100 to 1,000 trillion. 100 to 1,000 trillion connections. If you saw a brain scan, you always see one of those things where they're doing a brain scan. And whenever they do something, a different part of the brain activates. And you see a cloud of neurons being, seeing electrical impulses. If you've ever got a chance to see it, it's pretty interesting. And uh, it's still not exact science. not like human physiology, uh, with the muscle and the bone and the joints are, they're still at, let's say, the infancy of studying the brain. So recently they realized there weren't as many neurons, but still 86 billion on average is a lot. It's a lot. And, you know, the you if you're somewhat a student of culture and news and things like that, you know older people lose abilities, and a lot of it is neurological abilities. It's balance, it's brain power, it's memory, recall. And I always, I, I thought that was maybe like something you could kind of combat. You could combat if you've always maintained, tried to be sharp by doing something new, learning something new, trying to new. Think about those connections. There's so many connections. They're saying there's more connections in the brain and there are stars in the universe. Now, I don't know how exactly that they got those numbers because I don't think they ever can. But they did one of these things where they did a survey and they, they figured out if the universe is this big, there'd be this many stars. Okay, whether that's a shitload of connections. And when we learn new routines, don't chew up my battery. I'm looking at my dog right here. My, not my dog, the visiting dog, but I think it was my dog. Um, we think about learning a new habit, a new skill, or a new memory, or a new reaction. A different part of the brain makes a new connection. And these connections have, I'm not an expert on them, but from the reading that I've done, it's just that's where patterns come in. That's how habits will form. When we, when we, create, when we create a habit, when we create emotion, let's say there's something you do. There's people that do, let's say, uh, uh, quarters. You ever play quarters when you're in college? Quarters, we took a quarter and you try to put it into a cup filled with beer. And if you get in there, you make that person drink the beer. Kind of gross, you know, in the age of COVID, you know, be drinking off a dirty bar, quarters and stuff like that. And that's actually a game and stuff like that. Well, if you do that enough, you do anything enough, you're going to get skilled enough to do it where you're doing it almost 
without conscious thought. You're doing it unconsciously. It's like throwing a, um, these guys that really become good at throwing uh, extra points. That's all they practice is the extra points. All the, you know, and the, the, the foul line is the same distance from the net, and the net's a certain height, and the, the back of the net's there, and stuff like that. It should be a habit you should learn, and, and once you learn it, it should become unconscious reaction of taking the ball, throwing it through the hoop when you're playing basketball, or quarter into a cup. So that's a habit. And when you do it, it's just like doing a magic trick or things you do, a nervous thing that kids with their... Remember about 10 years ago with spinners? No. I don't know. It was 10 years ago, 8 years ago, spinners. Those little kid things that kids would hit. I don't know if that's not a talent or anything like that. But I imagine it's when you're building pathways on how to do something that a lot of times people know how to do some things very, very well. And then outside that, there are beginners, even the most expert person. The, the skilled quarterback, the great tennis player, the violinist, the virtuoso violin performance, they do those very well because they do it all the time. But tell them to do something they haven't done, it's not so natural. It may be easier for them to build a habit, become skilled of it, could be if they had a natural ability or something like that. But usually it will take time to build a habit. So whenever you're doing something new, you build a, build a new connection. Whether you learn something new or learn a new habit or things, things like that in your brain. Yeah, and you, it's the struggle to make those connections. Now, I, with dementia and Alzheimer's and things like that, that's outside my purview and but when a healthy brain, a healthy brain with none of those things going on or minor signs of old age, you know, age-related dementia, you can combat that. You can combat that. If there's not a, you don't have a degenerative neurological disease, you can combat decline by just doing it. And there's a billion things out there to do it. They have language programs, uh, puzzles and things like that. I'm not saying the stuff they advertise, like Candy Crush. Candy Crush will kill your brain. You just don't want to do that repetitive thing. One, you want to keep on mixing it up. That's why languages are so good. Or learning music, learning to play an instrument, learning, you know, you don't want to get into a thing where it's repetitive, repetitive one, two. But uh, you know, podcasting was like that. I still have to learn the sound thing, don't I? As evidenced by the type of sound I had pre-two episodes ago. I want to finish up with it is episode 656. And if you're very good with math or somewhat okay with math in about nine episodes, nine more episodes. So it was 257, 258. 259, 260, I'm the 660, 61, 62, 63, 64, 65. 10 episodes. It's episode 666. And it's going to be right around uh, Halloween. I almost say Christmas. It's going to be right around Halloween. 
So I'm looking forward to that. I may have to do like an episode. If I get close to it, I'll do episode 655. No, 665. And then do a 665 part one and 665 part two. In order to save episode 66640. You know, with these numbers, numbers aren't innately evil. If you think they're evil, they could be evil and stuff like that, but numbers aren't. Number 13 was my lucky number all the time. And they have 13 on the roulette wheel, and every so often someone wins on 13. That's a cultural thing. The 666 thing, that's, that's just, it's an, it's an ideal number to put up to make it look for some reason. There has to be an evil number. I don't know why it's 666. It could have been 222. Right, it wouldn't be three 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 because that's the magic number for some people, or seven seven seven, or eight eight eight, or nine 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 because you flip it over at six 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 six. But I'm looking forward to that. I thought today was actually for a moment there. I thought it was episode six six five, which would have been way too early. I'm I want to do a special show for that. I'll see what I can do. I'd like to thank you for listening. I'd like to thank all the downloads coming up. We're going to be doing some new stuff shortly. And I will be back. Have a great weekend. Bye.